Today we're talking about the typical property buying life cycle through the lens of a financial advisor. Welcome to your first home buyer guide, the podcast for first home buyers who want to get it right. I'm Megan and that was Veronica. We're both buyers agents and probably old enough to be your mums. But that's a good thing because between us we've got over 40 years experience and we are going to share with you bucket loads of stories about avoidable mistakes. Together, we're going to make sure that you get unbiased and real information that you can rely on so you can get where you want to be without missing a step. Now, we've got loads of great tips for you in this episode. And if you'd like more useful tools, head over to the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. There you'll find free checklists so you can download a free mini course on how to price a property and our where to buy workshop for only $39. Priceless stuff, really. Bargain. But before we get into the interesting stuff in this week's episode, here's the boring bit, the disclaimer. You of course know that nothing in this podcast is to be taken as personal advice. We always recommend getting the advice of an expert in their field of expertise. Now we've done our very best to ensure that the content is correct at the time of recording, but things change. So check with the relevant government authority or your advisors to get the most up-to-date information. Today, we're talking about the property buying life cycle. Now, before you tune out, stick with us because just because you're a first home buyer now, it doesn't mean that you may not go on to buy other properties as part of your overall wealth creation strategy, but also just as you move through life and upgrade. Um, and if you do it right first time, the first property you buy, you will set yourself up for future success. But more on that shortly. Before we get to that, there is a special house in the video behind you this week, Megan. I know what it is, but do tell. <laughs> I've just realised that it's cut out the actual bit that's the progress. So this is the renovation progress of the house in Brisbane that that I'm desperately looking forward to moving back into. So the deck has been put on all downstairs, all plastered internally. Uh, deck's been put on, the roof will go on tomorrow. There's absolute action stations there. It's super exciting. And I've been away for 10 days. So you can imagine the progress that happened in that time. How It is exciting. And the last time we spoke, there was some problems with deliveries of the sheeting for your plaster plasterboard. But now you've yeah. got it. So, yeah. So, and this is one of the things that I want to share with people along the journey is, you know, there can be things happen. There's a couple of things that happen. One was uh, trouble with the plasterboard delivery and then the plasterboard um subbies decided to cancel because they couldn't get enough staff. So my builder had to tilt very quickly. He and, and uh, he got a crew together and, and they slung the the plasterboard, which is the term for actually getting it up on the walls and, and screwed Lung. on. Love and it. then as they sort of were working through that, they found another plasterer who was able to come and do the setting. So, you know, we've all got to um, <laughs> just go with what we've got at the moment when things are tight. Uh, but yet yeah, that that has managed to come to fruition, which is is wonderful. And it really makes the house feel like a, a home. Well, heading towards feeling like a home now that it's got board instead of, you know, the the, the naked framing that we were looking at and 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 kilometers and kilometers of electrical wire that were in there. Uh, uh, uh. Now I did 
have a little wander through the house a few weeks ago, and yes, there's a lot of wire in that joint. <laughs> <laughs> a lot. I like my automation and and all those sorts of things, and and it was something that I wanted to to bring back into this house that I quite enjoyed from my previous home. Ooh, well, it's it's wonderful to see it take shape. Okay, so property and wealth creation they really do go hand in hand. Even if you're looking for a home to live in, it plays a very important part in your financial future. Um, and look, that's not to say that one size fits all, Veronica, because, no. you know, it's not, and, and this is a really important thing we want to say up front in this episode is it when it comes to building wealth creation or your, or your own wealth, we're, we're not the financial advisors. This is not our, our gig. Um, and you need to go and get your own independent advice because everyone's got different goals, risk profiles, everyone's situation is different. You know, go and get it some advice. Get it tailored to your own situation by a licensed financial advisor. But of course, Veronica, you you, you know, some people will think they're all financial advisors should be the same. You know, they should kind of stick to the same kind of strategy and and process. But they don't. You know, and and sadly, you, you know, you can get caught up with the wrong financial advisor. Some ignore property as an asset class. I know it just does my head in, and. You know, and then some I, recommend brand new. Oh, <laughs> I know. Everyone knows how we feel about that. <laughs> yeah, especially yeah, as a, as a supposedly a wealth creation vehicle, it, it's mortifying. So the problem is with financial advisors that there's very few of them out there that know really know enough about property to be able to guide their clients properly. One of the very rare ones um, that both Megan and I have a lot of time for is a fellow by the name of Stuart Weems. And he has a podcast called Investopoly. Now we have, he's also got a mortgage broking business. We have interviewed uh, Stuart on the podcast some time ago. Episode um, 28, we interviewed him. Uh, good on you. But I listen to his podcast, Investopoly, regularly. He just does these short, they're usually about 15 minutes and they explain a lot of really interesting and very, very practical sort of financial um strategies and explains things and talks about what's happening in the share market, et cetera, et cetera. So if you're interested in anything beyond property, uh, that is a really great pl- you know, place to start. Now, and He's I also got th- two really handy books, uh, Rules of the Lending Game and Investopoly. So yes. a, a podcast, obviously, same name as the book, but um, really, really well-written, you know, very easy to understand, but certainly not dumbing it down. Um, but written for, for people you know like you and me who and and people who are listening to this podcast who have an interest but they know there's probably some gaps in their knowledge and and, and it really helps you go oh so that's why you would do that or I hadn't really thought about that way and a very step-by-step approach now he has a, a weekly podcast as I mentioned and in one of his recent episodes he talked about the typical life cycle of an investor and and he, He's quite holistic in the way he looks at things. So he's talking about home ownership in that as well, because uh, like us, he looks at your choice around the your home as having investment characteristics, shall we say, in the sense that if you buy a good asset, it will go up in value over time uh, more than a bad asset. So there's, there's choices to be made there in terms of what you choose to buy and the implications the longer you own that property. And obviously, as you go to upgrade, these things really come into play, right? And the other thing too is that, you know, potentially if you're going to become a property investor, then obviously understanding about the quality of an asset is really important there too. 
And there's obviously tax incentives to own your own home. So there's a lot, lots of reasons why ignoring your own home as an in, as and not thinking of it as an investment is sort of leaving out some pretty important considerations. Um, but of course, we know you want to buy a home to live in, right? We know that you want to buy a home because you want to get into home ownership because you're probably fully aware of the benefits of owning your own home. And so what we want to do, though, was think about helping you think about the long term, helping you think about what you're buying now is starting is going to set you up for lots of things in the future and you've probably got no idea about your different incomes and and the ways in which your income is going to be impacted if you have kids and all these different things that can happen in life and that's where this episode that I was listening to of Stuart's was so I thought fascinating because it really does put into context the different stages of life and I guess our attitude and our approach to buying property. And so that's why we wanted to add to this episode of his. Uh, we will put the link in the show notes to it, but we wanted to add to it by really fleshing out some of the property-related aspects. Yeah, and in the course, yeah, in, in your First Time Buyer Guide, we, we do talk about the different life phases and they align very similarly to, to how Stuart has outlined it from a financial perspective, from from planning for your future and, and that's what we really like about it. So we had a chat and with his blessing, we're going to work through his phases and overlay property selection tips to match each stage of the life cycle. So that's where it gets really exciting because not every first home buyer is 20 something. In fact, the average age of first home buyers in Australia has gone up to 36. So we we want to make sure that even if you're in a different phase, it's you know, it's not too late. It's actually just making sure that you get that selection right for the phase that you're in and how long you've got left in your runway to build your wealth towards retirement. So again, not financial planning advice. We're looking at things through the property lens on this one, um, but adding to, to Stuart's podcast, which was really good to listen to. So Stuart begins on touching on why the financial planning process will help you understand what to do with your money over the long term. That's really what it's about. Um, and he always has his eye on the ball when it comes to having a focus on investment fundamentals. Now, that's not breaking things down to an asset selection sort of um, level. That's that's really, you know, what we teach you about it, selecting an asset, how to assess it, what areas, those sorts of things. But it's that big picture focus. So so what he, he talks about is typically um, phase one begins sort of your first job, the end of university. This is when he recommends mastering cash flow management. And I love that because if we'd all got that right when we first left uni and, and had our first jobs and so forth, we'd be sitting in a vastly different place than we are now, probably less handbags and shoes, but but more uh, more investments perhaps. You know, it's funny, actually, when I was uh, a uni student, you know, and I worked usually a couple of part-time jobs and I had a car and I had a credit card as well. And I remember I had this real hard and fast rule. I would never buy food nor fuel on my credit card. Right. right. Because that was your rule. That was my rule. And, you know, it's funny how looking back, I think that was actually a pretty good rule because it, well, I wasn't buying my consumables. You know, I was making sure I could, I could afford my lifestyle by making sure that I paid everything out of cash, you know. So therefore, credit card might be used to buy and might be used to buy uh, a big thing for myself that, you know, it might be a gift for someone or whatever. But like it was, it was used for special things or special items or special um, uh, costs, not everyday stuff. 
so then I'd have to pay it down. A bit like a lay-by in reverse. I got it straight away. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And then there's other ways of approaching it. So some people use their credit card as their cash and pay it off at the end of the month, but they manage very closely to that budget. Um, so for me, I like to put all of my expenses on um, a credit card and accrue the points. And that's how I have my holidays. That's what I do now. Yeah, that, that, it's paid yeah. off. So yes. that's a discipline that I've chosen to have because I want something at the end um, for the money that I've spent apart from what I actually spent the money on. But that takes an absolute bucket load of discipline and it didn't come easily and it didn't come until well into my 40s um, that I felt confident to be able to do that. I used to, I had a, a method that was to put money in different accounts. So I actually had individual accounts. This is in my early 20s. Individual accounts. I couldn't touch the savings. I couldn't touch the investment. I couldn't touch um, the bills. So annualised bills had to go in every month. Um, the only thing I could touch was living and splurge. So that's, you know, and, and that was a financial advisor actually helped me set that up because at the time I was actually working, it was, uh, I was actually working in real estate and in real estate, you get big chunks of money and then nothing. So it's a really, really lumpy income and to budget for, for expenses, you need to be thinking across the entire year, not just, wow, I've just got a big lump of money forgetting that for the next two months, you might not get any, um, depending on what the market was doing. So that was a really good discipline for me because it kind of took the money away from me until I developed the good habits. So, and these good habits will serve you well throughout your life. You know, they can be modified and built on all the rest of it as we've just sort of given a couple of examples. And as a first home buyer, this is probably where you are now, potentially getting Possibly. your good money habits in place while you're saving your deposit. If you remember when we, we interviewed the mortgage broker Hong Choi a few weeks back and we said, you know, when should a first home buyer contact a mortgage broker? And he said, well, basically, once you've got those habits in place, once you're actually budgeting and you are actually got some some good money habits, and then, then it's worthwhile talking to a broker. If you haven't got your head around that, then it's way too early, but certainly well before you got your deposit saved up. So by getting a good understanding of your cash flow and developing those good habits, you will get a good understanding of what you got left over the potential to use to invest. Yeah, that's the exciting bit. And one of the things and one of the reasons that property as an investment tool is so um, powerful, particularly the longer your runway, the longer you're in the, in the market for, is the ability to what's called gearing or leverage. And what that means is that you're borrowing a big chunk of what you're going to be spending on that property. And because you're able to borrow that money, then you're able to invest a hell of a lot more money or you're able to purchase with a hell of a lot more money than you would if you had to save up every dollar. You know, whereas if you were going to invest in shares, I mean, yes, you can borrow to invest in shares, but nowhere near the, you know, you can't get anywhere near 90% for shares. Um, and so the best quality property is the key to generate capital growth. You're going to borrow that money. You want to make sure it goes up in value. So yeah, and this is something that Stuart really, yeah, he really brought home in the, in the podcast. You know, his point was the best quality property is the key to generate capital growth. And, and you know, for you and I, that's just, you know, singing from the same hymn book. That's just gold to hear somebody who is in a, a financial advisor talking about quality being key. And we're not talking, when you know, we're not talking about blue chip suburbs. We're not talking about expensive. We're talking about quality at any price range in the market, but making sure you're focusing on on the good investment fundamentals of, of this home that you're going to buy to start you on the ladder. Um, so the types of properties that 
you know, generally we find people are looking at at this sort of level. They, they might be single. Um, they may not have coupled up yet. They may be in a couple. So generally they're, they're probably thinking small and thinking affordable and thinking least amount of borrowing possible. But, you know, as, as we talk about in your first home buyer guide, that isn't necessarily the best thing to get you on the ladder or for your long-term um, future and, and your, your wealth accumulation. So having a, a chat with a, a financial advisor sometimes, and a mortgage broker actually, sometimes will reveal to you that rather than limiting yourself to something that feels comfortable and, and cheaper, um, you may actually be better off at this stage if it is financially viable and comfortable from a, a financial point of view and you can service it to look at a an asset that costs more that gets you a better quality property for a longer term hold because that compounding nature of capital growth is the thing that over the long term will help you uh, leverage into the next property or into investment properties. And the longer term hold is really important because the costs of buying property and then the costs of selling property are really quite high. So every time you buy something, you're blowing money on stamp duty. Now, let's assume you're not grabbing lots of grants and everything, but that's that's another topic, really. But you know, after your first property, you're going to be you're going to be paying agents to sell it. You know, there's costs in that and marketing, etc. Then you're going to be paying another lot of stamp duty when you buy something. So a lot of the oh, incidental things, moving costs, and all that, yeah, all that sort. So the saving saving on buying a cheap property can often be a false economy. But certainly, you know, a lot of our students in in your first home buyer guide, they already have kids, right? But you might be in a position where you're starting to look at buying a home before you start a family. And and typically your career be progressing, your income's increasing, and and possibly if, if you coupled up, you've got two incomes, you've got very little cost. You know, you, you don't have kids yet. The, you know, the daycare and schooling costs, and just the fact that you've you've got to um, cut down on one income for a period uh, to one income for a period of time. So you do have a potential for surplus cash flow, and also that your window for borrowing and purchase of a property is you know you're in a much stronger a position sometimes at that time. Yeah, so you want to take advantage of that. So this is Stuart's second phase in in um, the life cycle of an investor. And and what I like about this is it's it's very identifiable, you know, whether whether you're on a an upward ch- career trajectory or just really getting yourself established or starting to get some promotions. Um, as you say, income is starting to increase, hopefully, um, and you're, you're you're really starting to get some runs on the board. But as you pointed out, Veronica, often your expenses are quite discretionary at this age and this phase of life, because if you haven't already got a property and, you know, let's face it, we're talking first home first home buyers here, so unlikely. So you're, you're looking at rent potentially, um, utilities, car, uh, and, and, and really everything else is largely discretionary. So you have got an ability to have a bit of power over how much you spend versus how much you can squirrel away and and really focus on well that's my surplus and and the more that that becomes apparent then the the more you can go to a bank and look at your borrowing capacity to say how how close am i to being able to do this based on how i'm managing my spending and and how my cash flow is being managed so we encourage well but so we encourage you then to be thinking with a longer lens right at that point of time you know, you might think you want to have children. You're not really going to be thinking about how they might impact your life and certainly your home requirements. You might be thinking that, you know, but, you, but you've got to be thinking, okay, this property I buy at this point of time 
when I've got more disposable income and more ability to borrow because I've got less costs associated with having children, now's the time I need to push myself and stress to stretch myself a bit because I may not have the opportunity in coming years to actually get the same level of borrowing. So now's the time to get in and do as much as I can to pay down debt, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a way of thinking, which is a bit hard to think about when you're having fun. Absolutely. And and typically what people start to think is, well, if I'm if I'm if I might be heading towards a family in the next five years or so, um, we can just start with a two bedroom unit and then we'll build from there. But Veronica, and this is where Stuart is really good at helping people think with that longer term lens from their financial point of view. Once those children come along, what he calls this next phase is almost impossible to build wealth during that phase. So it's when the children are young and there's a great increase in expense. They are very expensive, those little things. Love them. You know, I've got two boys. Love them dearly. <laughs> but gee, they cost a lot of money when they're little. They cost money in a different way now. But, you know, they, you know, everything is um, increased in expense during that period. But at the same time, often there's a decrease in income. And you touched on this earlier. And that's where one or both parents choose to take some time out of the workforce to be the primary caregiver. Or if both parents are working, then there is this extraordinary expense called childcare. And, you know, you think private school fees are expensive. As Stuart points out, sometimes if you add up those uh, childcare centre fees, they can actually come very close to being as much as private school will be. So it's a really, really expensive time. It's often where there's not a huge amount of disposable income. Honestly, your brain's probably frazzled a little bit as you're going through this this early childhood years. And it's it's as Stuart points out, it's a struggle to actually build wealth. Now, what he suggests during this phase is is, is phase is to acknowledge it, to just go, okay, we're not going to we are not going to be in a position for a few years until the kids get to school to build our wealth. But what we can do is we can manage as best that we can our income and our outgoings with a view to being ready when everything gets to the next phase. So often when we talk about which property suits and we're talking about how you sort of match and and tips around um, property in relation to this life cycle, often this is just status quo. It's not adding another property. It's not upgrading. It's generally, you're not generally going to be looked at positively by the banks from a borrowing capacity point of view or from a risk point of view, um, either while you're pregnant or young children because of um, the fluctuation income that can happen and the increase in expenses. So this is just kind of a ride through it and, and be ready for the next phase. So the thing here is if you have bought a property beforehand, you this is why it's important to think about what you're going to need during this phase because you're probably going to be stuck there right and you won't be renovating it you're just going to be stuck there living in it and if you haven't bought one this is going to be a period of time where you're probably still going to be renting while you get through this period and then you can start to actually build up your income and, and decrease your expenses again and the thing that um where Stuart comes into this is that he will talk about other ways to still invest right? But you're not going to be borrowing huge amounts of money and you're not going to be making huge mortgage commitments. But there are ways that you can continue that discipline we were talking about earlier. There's good money habits and actually have a regular investment uh, habit um, or savings plan or whatever it is that you Im- implement and keep going through this period. But of, with the recognition, you're not going to be throwing huge amounts of money at it. 
but it's a good it's a good way to keep just something still you know ticking away every month putting something aside because when you get your kids get to school interestingly enough a lot of those costs will dissipate right for starters you, you know if they go to public school it's almost free and I say almost because you've got to by uniforms of extra and stuff, but, yeah, and uniforms yeah. and sports and all those sorts of things. But it is vastly different to to the childcare days. Well, that's exactly right, and even the cost of childcare with after school care and all that sort of stuff. I mean, and perhaps you then return part time work, or perhaps then just you continue with full time work with a lower cost of childcare. So you can see how, and also if your career maybe you put it on hold a little bit while the kids are little and just working part time. And potentially, then you, you're you're ready for promotion or whatever it is. You can see how that you know things open up a little bit, and there's some more freedom and ability to increase your income during this period. And that's obviously going to set you up to be thinking, okay, now is it now the time to buy a property if you haven't already got one, or is now the time to upgrade? I know a lot of people do upgrade when their kids hit primary school. Um, it's a real point in our buyers agency businesses. I'm sure you've got the same experience, uh, Megan, the amount of people that when the kid, you know, the, the last child gets into kindy, that is a trigger point for a lot of people to, to upgrade their homes. Absolutely. Yeah. Because things start to get, the house feels a lot fuller when the kids get a little bit bigger. Oh yes. But their <laughs> needs change as well. And, and, and this is, you know, that long-term lens is quite, quite important because if you, if you'd bought that two bedroom apartment but could have bought with a bit of a stretch a, a three-bedroom house or a two-bedroom house and you're looking to do this change during the, the pre-kids at school, you're probably not going to. But then if you make the change or the upgrade at the wrong time, then you might not have that property, um, might not have the right property or chosen the right property to get you through the teenage years, which is the private school fees period. We're going to get to that in a minute if you go down the path of having private school fees because that that can significantly impact your borrowing capacity as well. So, so understanding, as a first-time buyer, you're probably shaking your head going, why do I need to know this? It's because depending on where you are in the life cycle, you might have to make different decisions if you've got a change coming up than you would if you were you know, further down the track or earlier. And And we talk about that, don't we? It's as you get later in life, you have to choose different properties that will perform differently and, and, and give you different risk profile at that point versus someone who's got a really long runway that might have started much earlier in life. Now, of course, if you don't have kids, this is all easy for you. Um, <laughs> to worry about this stuff. But if you do have kids, about 25% of the population don't. I think yeah. it's a stat that I heard Stuart say in the in the podcast. It's good for the, good for the environment, not having kids. Um, so... The, the thing is that if you've got little kids, you know, that, that preschool age, the requirements um, are interesting. Everybody wants open plan. Everybody wants to be able to see the garden from the kitchen. Everybody wants a bathtub close to the kitchen, you know, a bathroom with a bathtub close to the kitchen. There's certain things that everybody, they want all the bedrooms on the same level. There, there's all these sort of things that people want when they've got a preschool kids. Then as the kids start getting into primary school, like Megan said, when they start getting a little bit bigger, they start getting a bit noisier, they start exercising their own, you know, desires in terms of what they want to do recreationally. You don't always want to keep an eye on them and, and you definitely want their television in a separate room to yours. And, you know, so so the requirements for space change. And then when they're in, in high school years, they're going to need more space for study. You know, bedrooms tend to, the people want their bed, their kids' bedrooms to be bigger, for example, um, at the, you know, a, a separate play area for 
uh, for teenagers if they want to have their friends, you know, their kids bringing their friends home and have some level of, you know, oversight, if you like. Uh, but the, but also access to public transport changes when your kids hit teenage years as well. You want those kids commuting to school on their own without you needing to be, you know, mum's taxi, dad's taxi. So, so this is, you know, this does change the type of property that you will be looking for at different stages of life. So that's why sort of just understanding your cash flows and your income and what other demands are going to be for your finances. Because as Megan sort of alluded to, when you get into high school and in, in, if you do choose to send your kids to private school, you, you're going to be almost back in the preschool years in terms of less opportunity to upgrade, to do things. So you need to be thinking about what's next always in that stage of life that you're at where there's more income. Yeah. And do I need to do something sooner before I change this phase or should I wait this phase out to do something when I move into the next phase? Because those two things, you know, are very, very individual and and making the wrong decision there might put you in the wrong property. So so actually waiting sometimes might be better for you or or um, making that decision earlier might be better. So there's this phase, this kids at school phase. Uh, Stuart talks about, you know, it's an investment window. This is where to look at property, to look for growth assets for that compounding capital growth over the long term. Um, he suggests regular share investing as an option, additional super contributions, or adding an investment property um, if buying your first home is going to be rent vest, or if you have been fortunate to get on that ladder already and you're adding something to your portfolio. So, so types of properties here, really important to think about, as Veronica said, what is that What is that next phase that we're coming to? Can we, if we want to upgrade in that next phase, can we actually do it or will our borrowing capacity be impacted? Because let's talk about that. That next phase is that school fees phase, you know, so going to high school possibly. Um, some people do public school for junior, that's what I did for primary for the kids and then private school for high school. Some people go down the path of um, uh, public high school, but there's still a lot of extracurricular fees that sort of come in and and all sorts of other activities that kids do. So these can actually decrease your borrowing capacity from a bank's point of view as school fees are actually included in the calculation. So they're an expense uh, when the when the bank is looking at, well, how much money are we prepared to, to lend you? Fair enough. They're a lot of money. Um, <laughs> but... I think to the one thing in Stuart's podcast, he does talk about those other investment opportunities. And one of the things that I like about Stuart, as we mentioned, he's a financial planner. He obviously is across all of those other things that you could you can invest in. Um, and, and he has a really good respect, healthy respect for what represents a good quality property as an investment. But also from our point of view, whilst we're not equipped and able to give financial advice or even talk about what you should or shouldn't be doing financially, what we do like to say is that property investment is not the be-all and end-all, that it's really important to open your mind to what other opportunities there are. Owning your own home, we just think, is something we should all aspire to if we can. There's lots of reasons why owning your own home is a really good idea, and I guess we're preaching to the converted here. But beyond that, investing is also a good idea. And, you know, what you choose to invest in, obviously, is down to you and your plans and, and uh, your incomes as well. But, and that's where, you know, the Investopoly uh, podcast is really great if you do want to educate yourself into other sides of investing. And certainly he does talk a lot about superannuation in that particular episode and across the board, because this is something we are all working at building up our, with our financial, fu- uh, for our financial future, I should say, 
in much the same way a family home does also help us in retirement. You know, so these this is about having a long lens and thinking through all the elements. Yeah, it's it's the big picture approach. It's not just having uh, blinkers on and saying, I want to buy a house, I have this much money, therefore this is all I can buy. It's, it's saying, well, is this the right time for me to buy it? Is this the right phase in my life? Could I be doing something differently if I if I waited to the next phase? So, and, and that's what I really liked about this podcast, Veronica, when, when you started talking about it is it is it is about thinking about that long-term view and, and maybe the right time isn't now, but it may be just around the corner. And and if you know that, then you've got a different, you can have a different mindset around it. It's not that, oh, I haven't bought a house. It's, I know when this thing changes, then my opportunities are going to be greater. I have a plan. Yes, it's difficult, um, but there's a reason why it's more difficult right now you know, depending on where you are, particularly if you've got preschoolers, there's a reason for it. It's not going to be like that forever. It won't be. And then be. I can have a bit of light at the end of the tunnel. I had a great, I have a great girlfriend who had her children younger than me, and and uh, I had a cup. Uh, my eldest didn't sleep, and she her words of advice, and I think it applies to just about every aspect of life. Really, is Megan, this too shall pass, and. And I really like that because with every phase with the children, I think, oh, God, this is a bit difficult. This too shall pass. And it always does. And There's uh, a new challenge a, coming up. And the new challenge comes up. <laughs> with every new freedom comes a new challenge. <laughs> <laughs> if you don't want that, don't have kids. <laughs> oh, I do. oh, they enrich so, your life. They do. But as you get as you get a bit older, right, you sort of get into your 50s or late 40s, 50s, um, you are looking at a situation of improved cash flow and obviously you would have hoped to have built up some equity in your home by then as well. So you're not, you know, you're no longer looking at borrowing 90% of what a property is worth. You know, you're consolidating, you're starting to reduce debt and you're looking um, about cash flow into other investments that you're not borrowing for, such as, you know, super or shares and selling. You might start to think about selling down assets to reduce debt um, if if necessary. I mean, this is just some of the things that you might be considering. But you don't want to do that without really thinking about it because you'll miss out on that long-term compound capital growth if you sell. So it is it is a really important time to get external advice from a really good advisor. Well, it's funny because, I mean, of course, when you're younger, you think people in their 50s are really old. Now, oh, I did, and then I we confess. <laughs> and so I am in there, and I was I was laughing with my girlfriend um, about this, and it's like, oh, you know, how long do you think before you're old? Oh, a good twenty years, you know. <laughs> so when we're in our seventies, we're probably thinking the same thing. Ah, uh, we thought we were old in our seventies, you know, we would have been old. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we've still got a runway to invest in. You know, we've still got a runway um, because I don't intend to retire the minute I can. Well, some people do, you know, so it's all about individual plans and individual requirements. I have no intention of doing that because I enjoy what I do. So therefore, I have a runway to continue investing and continue borrowing to invest because of that, say, let's say maybe 15 years. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But on the other hand, if you do want to slow that down and you don't want to have uh, an external source of income, then you have to have some sort of self-generated source of income. And that's really what this is about, is understanding how do you generate this once you choose not to be working anymore or or it's forced upon you if there's a, a mandatory retirement age in the industry that you're in. 
Um, this, but this is also the real benefit of having an investor's mindset early on yeah. because as you know, the good decisions you made when you were younger are what's going to give you these alternatives and options when you're older. Yeah. So I guess if in this phase, if this is, and we have had students who have been in this phase of life who haven't had the ability to purchase a property before their late 40s to 50s. So first home buyers can be in their 20s and in their 50s. And I think we even had one 60s possibly um, who, who was looking to get into the market as well. The type of property that you're going to choose here is going to be really quite different because you've got a short runway to work with. And if it's a home, you may not look at this with an investment lens. You may look at this just with a lifestyle lens. So that's really important to step back from it and too and think about, well, how long could I be in this and how much capital growth might there be over that time? Am I better off at this stage having a think about whether it is you know, the apartment at the beach that gives me the lifestyle that I've, I've earned over a period of time as long as I can afford it, as opposed to something that puts you somewhere that might give you better capital growth. Now, Veronica, that's a controversial thing to say because it does fly in the face of some of, uh, well, a lot of what we say, but it is an important thing to step back and say, well, if I'm at this phase in my life, what is it that I want out of this property? It's also about stretching, your, we say for first home buyers who are younger, to really look at stretching yourselves within the parameters of what you can afford. And the reason for that is because you do have this long runway and it's because also that your needs are going to change and you are going to require, assuming you have kids, you are going to require bigger bigger homes over time. And then by the time you get to the uh, over that hump of those kids and finishing school and whatever, you're not going to need the big home anymore. So when you go, if the first home buyers who are buying in their 50s, you would be potentially looking at a smaller home that you know that you can pay down a lot faster so that when you do get to retirement, given that you don't have that same length of runway, you might have 15 or 20 years instead of 40 years, you know, big difference. So over that period of time, you really want to aim to pay it down because so you don't enter retirement with debt. So that might be what a deliberate decision to, to go smaller for that reason. Or it might be that you do go a bit higher, a bit bigger and a bit more expensive, knowing that you're going to be selling it down and downsizing. And so you've got to plan for when you do that so that that's how you get out of the debt situation. So how you approach this is going to be very much, very dependent on what your overall plans are and what your requirements are, I guess, in a property now as well. If you've got to have kids late, like, you know, I confess before I'm in my 50s and I also have a 16-year-old daughter. So, you know, I had obviously had her quite late. <laughs> um, you know, th- that means that I, my requirements now are very different to somebody who might have had their daughter in their 20s. Um, so, you know, th- this is all individual and we, you know that we're advocates for doing the work, making sure that you work through these things and understand all the elements so that you can make really good decisions and planning around your own situation um, but that's something that you need to be considering here is the exit strategy. You either at, at what point can you can you really get debt free? Because you don't really, if you can avoid it, want to be going into retirement owning a lot of money on a your debt. own home. Yes, yeah. And that's the final phase in, in Stuart's um, life cycle and that is sort of retirement age. You know, everyone is entitled to super from 60 if they're permanent re- permanently retired. I think it's 65 if they're... Uh, still working part-time. 
Um, the super fund that you um, draw from, draw your pension from, might be the first phase of retirement, but it may not be sufficient to last the distance. And that's where these other assets start doing the heavy lifting. And this is a, a really important part of that long-term vision of having the right properties that have done that hard work along the way, they've done that growth, they've had compounding growth over time. And that is that is just such a magical thing to have along the way. Um, it's not just putting money in the bank and earning a little bit of interest. That's a little bit of compounding, but it's actually leveraging what you can put in to make that pool bigger at the end. And and that's where these assets start doing the really heavy lifting, whether that is to live off the income of those or pay or, or sell them down, um, divest your assets as, as you need money. Uh, that is entirely within that financial planning space. Um, but that's really where the, the, these assets, these property assets that you've accumulated over time, it's not the time to be buying a property if you need to borrow because you've got no income to show and your borrowing capacity is going to be probably zero. So there you have it. That's um, thanks to Stuart Weems and his uh, investment life cycle that we have just sort of popped in some... some Overlaid some property. We fleshed it out with the property bits and, um, and we hope that that's really helped you get an understanding of, you know, where you might be in your life cycle at the moment or so what you might want to be looking for. And just a little reminder that for members of your first home buyer guide, when I say members, that's people who have purchased the course, learning how to buy property step by step, right? There's so many pitfalls. And this course actually teaches you the process and the steps so that you can avoid making those those really easy mistakes that many, many buyers make. You don't need to make them. Um, but also we have um, very recently started what we call our weekly campfire and that is every Wednesday at lunchtime we are online live to answer your questions live. So for people who want to do the program and do the course who then also want us to be able to help and guide them or guide you through your property purchasing journey as you're out looking at properties, as you've got questions when you're dealing with agents, you know, as you're preparing to make offers, as you you know, uncovers some hurdles and due diligence. You don't quite know what to do next. We're there. And so this is a new thing that we've started. It's a bit exciting. And so hopefully we can start to see more of you and help more of you along your property journey. Come along every Wednesday at one o'clock and pick our brines. In this episode, we've covered a very small part of our 10-step online course for first-time buyers. If you would like to learn more about the process and how to buy without making a mistake, then head over to our website, www.homebuyeracademy.com.au. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss an episode. And if you like what you've heard today, please give us an iTunes review. Five stars would be wonderful. It will help others find us as well. Thank you for joining us. We hope you found this really useful. And if you have, please share the love with others who you know are in the same boat. We'll be back next week with some more priceless stuff.